So let me ask you, do you move well, eat well, and sleep well? Do you feel that modern medicine is looking out for your best interest? Do you know how to take care of your body so you can stay pain-free and in the activities you love? Do you know what options you have? If not, that's a problem, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Trevor Fulter, and welcome to the Green Bay Health Project Podcast. Green Bay Health Project podcast is sponsored by Movement Performance and Rehabilitation, where we help the athletes and active adults move better, perform better, stay pain-free, and in the sports and activities that they love. We do this by focusing on their movements and optimizing their mobility, stability, and strength. Your body is your greatest tool, and when you move better, you feel better, and you thrive. So head to movementgb.com, that's mvmtgb.com, to learn how we can help you stay active and pain-free for life. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Trevor with the Green Bay Health Project Podcast, and today we are talking with Dr. Delo, um, a sports medicine physician at Delo Sports Medicine and Interventional Orthopedics right here in Green Bay. Um, Dr. Delo, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. We've been working on this for a bit to make it happen. So here we are. Good morning. You know, uh, so I, I kind of mentioned a little bit about the name and stuff, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background, how this all came to be, um, and we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. Um, I originally, I was an athlete in college, so I went to medical school thinking I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon and go into the sports medicine realm. Um, And then in med school, I actually really hated the operating room and I was looking for alternatives. I love anatomy and I love trying to fix people, but not in an OR setting. So that's kind of how I found my way towards primary care sports medicine. Um, Back in those days, um, it was mostly through primary care. So I did do a family medicine residency originally. Um, kind of treating all ages. And then I did a primary care sports medicine fellowship where we learn orthopedic assessments, um, but we also dive a little deeper into diagnostics um, and then non-surgical treatments. And really nowadays it's become minimally invasive treatments. So that's kind of that interventional orthopedics at the end of my title um, is we do a lot of minimally invasive procedures, whether it's ultrasound guided surgeries um, or the regenerative medicine space. Um, So then I worked in hospitals for about 15 years, um, and just kind of got sick of the micromanagement that I think people are seeing nowadays with (laughs) administration. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I know what I want to do with this patient, how I want to treat them, how much time I want to spend with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that became more and more difficult to do uh, in a hospital setting. So I decided to go out on my own. Uh, A little bit bad timing. We opened right at the beginning (laughs) of COVID, (laughs) Uh, but we made it through. And um, yeah, it's a much better practice environment. I hope it's better for my patients. I think it is. The feedback sure. I got is really good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, we feel you with the uh, timing. We when we first met, we talked. I mean, we were yes. pretty much same time. But <laughs> if you can make it through that, like, what can't you make it through? You know, <laughs> I hear you. And then, I mean, same reasons. Like spending time with people. I think that's invaluable. And so like the fact that you guys are able to do that with that um, background and all the services you guys offer, which we're going to get into pretty quickly here, that's, it's truly invaluable. And I'm sure all your patients feel the exact same way. Like when's the last time you can say you sat down for X amount of minutes or time with a physician and just 
talks and let them hear you. Yeah, and it's great kind of handpicking my staff because they really understand my practice. And I think another frustration with patients is if they call a medical center, they're going to get someone who doesn't understand what's going on with their case, mm-hmm. doesn't know what the treatments entail. All my staff is really you know, up to date with what I do, you know, what the risks mm-hmm. are, what the benefits are. Um, and so that's also very helpful, I think, for that patient experience. Yeah, they can talk to a real person that can help them <laughs> right away. <laughs> I mean, it's, we, we get that. I don't know if you get that, but we get that sometimes where it's like, oh, wow, I'm actually talking to you. Oh, wait, you guys do your own scheduling? Like, <laughs> you're not, it's like, yeah, yep. It's, it can't be like this. So, <laughs> Um, so you mentioned your staff. Let's start there. What's, what's their background? How many staff members do you have? Like, how does that work? So right now I'd say two and a half. <laughs> um, <laughs> I brought an athletic trainer um, with me from the hospital system that I used to work at, um, who had initially worked in the school setting and then had transitioned into the office setting. So was a little okay. familiar with um, the athletic scene, but then also the you know, office scene that I do. Um, she does a lot of patient education, um, exercise teaching for patients that maybe don't need the formal therapy route, mm-hmm. um, brace fitting. She's, they have good training in that realm, um, which is invaluable, really. I've seen people put braces on wrong. and <laughs> You don't <laughs> think that that's possible, right? <laughs> it can be detrimental to the patient. <laughs> um, kinesio taping, things like that. And she started to do a little more myofascial release work, which is nice sometimes to have in concert with some of the treatments I'm doing. Um, so my husband is actually a RN. Uh, he works in my office with me. Um, he actually took over a lot of the billing side, which is great because that's a headache. <laughs> um, but he also um, was a phlebotomist for a long time. So when we do regenerative medicine um, and we need blood draws, he's very good at that. Patients you know, barely notice that. Um, mm-hmm. And also just in the sterile environment, he used to work in hospital um, nursing uh, in more of the OR setting. And so when we have sterile procedures, um, like our stem cell procedures and things like that, he's very helpful on that end. Um, now we hired... Uh, receptionist who has some uh, medical business background, but she's actually in school to be an MA. So it's kind of nice because she wants to kind of transition out of the front office and start helping uh, in the back uh, with Mm -hmm. the patients uh, once she's done with her training. So that's cool. Yeah. It's a good crew. And we were lucky enough. I mean, we sat down, met most, I think, (laughs) three of us, Um, but good people, good people. So the big thing I want us to get into, you keep talking about this regenerative medicine. Um, first, let's start like with what that is and then what it looks like, what you guys offer, because I want to pick your brain a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> one, one thing that I just love about kind of the field I'm in is that we can actually find ways for people to heal. Um, which I think is awesome. And I do some ultrasounds. So sometimes we can see a tear and then treat it somehow. Um, and then follow up and, oh my gosh, you know, you can actually see it heal before your eyes, which is just super cool to see the human body's potential to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what regenerative medicine is trying to do is tap that potential. Um, so rather than masking pain with something like cortisone, which we know unfortunately is toxic to the tissue and was standard of care for so long, um, we can actually put some of your own cells into an area and trigger some healing. Um, Obviously, there's some conditions we're not going to completely reverse, you know, and I try to be very realistic if we're treating something like arthritis. Um, Mm -hmm. But things like tendon tears, ligament tears, we'll actually see healing in those structures um, when we use regenerative medicine. So it is kind of a broad term. Um, 
you know, we even do a little bit of prolotherapy, which is questionable if that, you know, is that in the regenerative medicine space? Um, that's not using your own cells, but it is triggering healing um, with some other type of um, growth factor or healing trigger um, injected into a joint or ligament area. Um, the stuff I really focus on is either PRP or some type of stem cell procedures. Um, PRP, a lot of people are familiar with. I think it goes all the way back to like Heinz Ward in the Super Bowl. Like, I don't know, it's like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, sure. I forgot about that. <laughs> that was kind of the start of um, media and PRP. Yeah. Um, so PRP is a blood product. Uh, we, you, we draw blood, we concentrate the healing cells, and then we inject them back in, again, using guidance. I always want to mm -hmm. use guidance and see where I'm putting these cells so that we get optimal treatment. Um, injecting them back into an area where there's either degeneration or injury and then having the body start to heal it. Um, stem cells is obviously kind of the next strength of that. So mm -hmm. uh, stem cells we can take either from bone marrow um, or from fat. Uh, and then same thing, you know, we can concentrate them um, and then put them back in. And those are just going to have a more dynamic healing response. Um, as people get older, their stem cell production stays up. Um, in the bones that we take those from. Um, and so as you get older, the stem cell response is really nice because the PRP is a, a blood response. And we all know your natural healing response, unfortunately, is amazing when you're mm -hmm. 10, 20 years old. <laughs> right. And then it starts to go down. So my middle-aged people, I have a lot of great response with PRP. But yeah, as people age, it does um, decrease. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times then we'll move to the stem because you still have this awesome dynamic healing response even at, I mean, most of the studies are done up to the age 80. Wow. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting, I mean, it's, I think stem cells are becoming more and more talked about and known, like the effects of them, um, which is pretty awesome. And the fact that you guys are bringing that right here is, I mean, that's freaking cool. <laughs> that's, 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 that's awesome. So what types of, I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. So you, um, prolotherapy, PRP, stem cell, like they all have their, certain conditions i'm assuming correct? Yes. or is it based on age and like i mean there's multiple variables um and obviously it's all dependent on the person but what kind of conditions might um people benefit from from some of these prolotherapies prp stem cells all that and then i i want to pick your brain more on um, stem cells and how they work <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of a evolving issue. So, mm -hmm. um, so prolotherapy, the thought process behind it is we're trying to stabilize an area that causes pain because of micro instability. So okay. most prolo is done in the spine. Um, okay. Most people that have back pain know it's not just because you have one disc bulge. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, most people have arthritis in the spine. They have disc disease. They have a mild nerve impingement. They have a whole bunch of, and they have core weakness. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, so to inject one spot isn't going to fix it. Uh, mm -hmm. So prolotherapy is, is not for people that have needle phobia. It is a lot of injections because we're <laughs> um, small needle, I promise. <laughs> we're trying to inject that growth factor at the beginning and the end of a whole bunch of ligaments, kind of interspinous process ligaments, um, iliolumbar ligaments, at the facet joint levels, at the SI joint levels, that type of thing to try to stabilize that whole low back and pelvis. Mm -hmm. Um, I do do prolotherapy in smaller joints. I have some patients we do it like in the thumb, like the first CMC, um, where there's obviously oh, yeah. 
yeah, it kind of sticks out when it starts to degenerate. Yeah. It's not just an arthritic process. It's a weakening, right? Right. Um, or other or ankle where people have like some chronic ankle instability. Um, PRP or stem cell, I'm using more in just generalized arthritis, like like a knee, like a hinge joint, you know, where you're not dealing with as much instability. You're mm-hmm. dealing with just wear and tear from like the aging process, mm-hmm. um, you know, or plantar fascia, really good evidence for PRP, um, tennis elbow or golfer's elbow, really nice evidence out there. Um, my decision between PRP or STEM is partially age, partially research. I really like to try to follow the evidence-based medicine track. Um, things like nerve, people, at, you know, if I had a patient who had a nerve injury after surgery and, you know, she's like, is PRP gonna work? The research is all on stem cell. Yeah. And so I'm like, honestly, I can't tell you. I mean, hypothetically, given that stem cell does have some evidence for it with these nerve injuries, as long as the nerve is still intact, mm-hmm. um, you would think PRP may, but from an evidence-based standpoint for nerve, I would lean towards the stem. And vice versa, pe- people ask me about stem for their tennis elbow. And I'm like, there's no reason it wouldn't be more dynamic than PRP, but it's a much bigger expense. And so if we know PRP <laughs> works, why don't we start there? Right. Um, See how that goes, build up, cross that bridge if and when it's needed. <laughs> right, because we also, you know, I also perform um, the 10X procedure, which yep, is a poster treatment. Sure. Yeah, so for someone like a tennis elbow, you know, if they fail PRP, maybe we just need to clean out if there's some microcalcifications or some debris. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite combos um, is like a 10X and then a PRP. Um, okay. Yeah, sometimes yeah. there's dead tissue in the way and the body just can't repair. And if we can just clean that out and then put those healing cells in, that's always a... Nice. And that's what I was going to just ask. So the 10X, you mentioned that that's basically going in, cleaning stuff out, but the PRP will go in and kind of promote that healing environment um, with the injection, correct? Right. Yeah. So, you know, some people come in and they want to know which one is indicated. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's something like a tendon, um, I mean, you're familiar. We we don't really believe in tendonitis anymore. It's not this crazy inflammation. It's wear and tear, you know, little intrasubstance tearing, some scar tissue build up, that kind of phenomenon. So if you look under ultrasound or MRI and you see that a tendon just globally looks messy, I'm going to lean towards PRP because if you debride an entire tendon, obviously you could rupture that tendon (laughs) and that's a good idea. Um, If on imaging (laughs) we see a, a local tear, and you know some calcifications or something then that's perfect for 10x you know you go in you clean that up and then yeah you watch and see if it fills in if it's not quite enough just to get that you know dead tissue out of the way then we can talk do we want to splash a little prp in there and really augment that healing process Hmm. yeah that's that's super interesting and before i bring up the uh pick your brain about stem cells uh, (laughs) i want to jump back to the prolotherapy quick so that substance is it's usually like a dextrose or something like that correct that is the most common substance used yes okay and so it's, it's actually a just, sugar <laughs> yeah yeah um that's oh, okay uh it works as a growth factor in the body naturally okay. um some of my patients are diabetic and they're concerned about that but it's not glucose um it's not gonna bump the blood sugars luckily um it's just gonna <laughs> hopefully trigger some collagen thickening essentially new collagen formation which is part of what those ligaments stabilize with interesting that's cool and that's you hit that spot on that's kind of why i wanted to bring that up because people see sugar and they're like wait why am i doing that like you're injecting that into the into the system into the body um 
but I think just how it works, it's just all super interesting. It's super interesting. It is. And I think a lot of us in my space um, use PRP sometimes in the Prolo technique because the Prolo technique is definitely its own technique to hit all those different ligaments in a region. Um, again, kind of like we were talking before, like you don't want to just inject a joint um, if there's other surrounding issues. And so sometimes we'll do a lot of SI joint. A lot of people have mm. hypermobility in their SI joint. Um, sometimes they'll consult for an SI joint fusion, um, which it has a role, but it's definitely not a mainstream indicated surgery. Um, mm. So a lot of those people we can stabilize with Prolo, but sometimes they're like, hey, why don't we use PRP and get a little stronger healing response, especially if there's some arthritis in that SI joint also. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sometimes we'll kind of cross that line if they're like, well, I don't know if Prolo is going to be enough because a lot of times it's done as a series. Most of my PRPs are a one and done. Um, so sometimes we'll do that technique, but with the PRP. Okay. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it is, like you said, it really depends on the patient. I don't... I don't feel like there's a one size fits all in the regenerative space. Everyone's injury is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that- what I, I love what you guys are doing because it is that individual approach. Like it's not just, okay, like you kind of mentioned the injections before the corticosteroid stuff, like all of that, like, um, but uh, it, it's just individualized. It's not a one size fit all approach. Yeah. And then obviously we try to work with, people like you because yeah no joint alive in a vacuum you know there's muscles around it uh, and proximal and distal to it that need to be stabilized so all of our treatments we make sure that there's an exercise program incorporated um, and that that joint is being stabilized not just from a ligament standpoint but from a muscle standpoint yeah cool and that's i was gonna get there too but since you sorry we keep putting stem cells on the back end (laughs) (laughs) um but i was gonna ask like um, like we do all these injections and then you guys just have the ability to, uh, um, follow up with them, follow through like that, like post injection stuff, PRP, prolo, stem cell, whatever it may be. Correct. Yes. Um, and a lot of times the early stages is just maintaining range of motion, muscle activation. And so we do like the day zero and two week exercise Mm -hmm. programs, but then obviously we want people to advance. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we try to get more into dynamic movement and hopefully have them either getting back into whatever they do as an activity or, you know, working with a personal trainer or something in that realm to, Mm -hmm. you know, maintain that joint. Because as you know, like, you know, regular exercise is going to slow any degenerative process. Um, And yeah, what we do can halt it and improve what you have, but that degeneration is going to want to start again (laughs) at some point. So yeah, if we can slow that down even more. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So um, you mentioned two different types of stem cell therapies that you guys do, bone marrow and fat drive, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. What are the differences? So, And what might the benefits of one or the other be and whatnot? Right. So bone marrow, I mean, they both have mesenchymal stem cells, um, which are the type that we want to stimulate healing in kind of the orthopedic space. Um, But bone marrow has a lot of other growth factors with it. It has blood cells with it. It's kind of the whole milieu. Um, That's really where most of your research is going to be. There's been um, bone marrow stem work being done, not all in this country, but around the world for, you know, 20, 30 years. And, you know, there's some really good evidence out there for it. 
Um, but there were certain areas where the outcomes weren't looking as good. Things like meniscal tears, labral tears, um, you know, some of the nerve injury. So what scientists have found is that fat cells, which I think people can attest to, they have the highest number of stem cells of any tissue in the body. It just regenerates. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a few years ago, we started looking at that and saying, wow, you know, this is a super concentrated number of stem cells here. The big magic question with fat is what else is in there? And that's still being studied. We don't know about all these growth factors and cytokines and all this stuff we know is in bone marrow. Do we have all these things or are we just putting the stem cells in and the high concentration is going to trigger the response of everything else we need? Um, so the evidence is still early with fat. And um, so I don't push adipose unless someone really wants it because, yeah, there's no contraindication. It's very safe. Um, or they have one of those indications that the early evidence is looking really good for, like labral pathology, meniscal pathology. Um, I see a lot of patients, unfortunately, that have hip labral problems, even if they had a scope, um, continue to have some issues in there. And we just need that labrum to heal. Even if it's sewn back together, it's just not functionally working. Um, I like fat in those patients. Uh, it, uh, it seems to pad the area really well. We think it works as a graft. They use fat grafts in surgery for a long time now. Um, with the same concept behind it. Uh, we think it fills in some of those torn areas and just sits and releases stem cells. Hmm. And that kind of brings us to your question about, okay, so how do stem cells work? Mm -hmm. So for years, we really thought that we were putting these cells there and they were just transforming into a different type of cell. Um, they can do that, but that's actually not how they work in the healing response. Yeah. Um, they're actually um, messaging cells. So they, what we've found is they actually look like these little spiders. It's kind of cool on a microscope. Um, they migrate to the blood vessels. They attach to the blood vessel and they send out all these signals to bring all the other stuff that you need for healing, whether it's tissue building blocks or these other signaling proteins. Um, so they really work as a messaging cell. And if you can get them to a certain concentration, then they really bring in everything you need for that healing response. So for the bone marrow, we know that a lot of it's already there and they're kind of activating and just bringing in those building blocks. In the fat picture, that's kind of what we need to figure out. Okay, they're signaling like crazy. How much response are we getting? Hmm. That's so interesting. And so what's the prep like for this? For the stem cells, like, because so, it's so got to be prepared, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> so we really, I learned from my colleagues way back when, um, the best thing to do, and it's hard for us, some of us that are impatient and just want to do our procedure, <laughs> <laughs> is you numb the area. We take the bone marrow from the hip bone, the back aspect of the hip bone. If you numb the area really well, people do not feel you going through yeah. the bone, which is awesome. Because, um, yeah, we don't need to sedate our patients or anything. That's um, nice. Yeah, it is really nice. They will feel as we take it out. Um, some people find that a little bit uncomfortable, but it's a pretty quick process once we get through the bone. Um, and that that little poke in the bone heals up just fine. By the two-week appointment, most of my patients don't have any tenderness there. Everything's closed up. Um, and then we process it. So there's always a little downtime for processing, whether it's PRP or bone marrow. And we have smart TVs in the room, so some people will watch something. Other people just hang out on their phone. Sweet. <laughs> We're a little what bit of a some people have lots of questions and we just chat. Um, but then, yeah, once once it's prepared, then we just put that back in. Um, the nice thing is I went through this short period of time. Uh, the research came out that lidocaine, which is our most common anesthetic, mm -hmm. is actually toxic to things like cartilage and other cells. 
Um, so for there was a short period of time when we weren't using much anesthetic when we put stem cells or PRP back into people, and then they had a little more discomfort. Luckily, the, the bench research has shown that ropivacaine, which is a different anesthetic, at a low dose actually is not toxic. So now we're able to put a little bit of that in. And miraculously, we have a supply of ropivacaine right now. Obviously, that's been an issue with everything. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're able to put a little numbing agent in. So there's a little feeling of fullness when we inject it, but overall people tolerate it, you know, really well. And, you know, PRP is a little soreness the next day, really with stem cell, there usually isn't much because you don't have much for inflammatory cells. We're getting that out of there. Um, with the fat, we do sedate people. I had one patient who wanted to drive himself, so he didn't choose sedation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, you know, if I ever do this again, I think I might want to <laughs> Live and learn, live and learn. <laughs> it's a little funny, because it is a, a mini liposuction procedure to get fat. Um, and obviously, we're not taking poundage off, so it's not like some of the videos people have probably seen of liposuction. It's not that brutal, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's not a very gentle technique. So it's a little uncomfortable to be awake um, just to kind of know what's going on, I think. So we just sedate people mildly for the liposuction. Um, and then we just wash the fat, essentially, make sure any oils are out of it, any blood products are out of it. We just want that pure fat tissue. Hmm. And then, yeah, it's interesting to inject back in. Always hurts my thumb a little bit because fat is kind of globular. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. But it's kind of funny because people walk out and if you're putting it in a joint, they all, they feel kind of like they're bouncing because it really is mm. padding into that joint. <laughs> so do, they'll leave same day, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. So the, we block two hours for our stem cell procedures. It doesn't always take that long, but just in mm-hmm. case there's any difficulty getting tissue. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and then they go home. Yeah, and that's, I, th- I think people think of, might hear it or see it and they're like, oh, geez, it's going to be this big process, but it's, pretty quick and then like the turnaround like what what do you look for what do you have your um, patients kind of watch for in regards to the upcoming like following weeks so yeah the first one to two days more with PRP than stem but there can just be some discomfort and what I usually describe to people is like the achiness like arthritis is going to be the most common thing we treat with stem Mm -hmm. and it's just like a flare of their arthritis achiness Um, but when we're using the body's natural healing cascade, we don't want people to use ice or anti-inflammatories, unfortunately. uh, Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Um, so unfortunately, like normally they would just pop a leave and then it'd be fine. And I'm like, no, sorry, you can't do that. Um, so yeah, Tylenol, we offer people for that first one to two days if they want a really mild, like a tramadol or a mild narcotic or something, because it's going to be a little achy. Mm. Um, but that's a day or two. And then typically that wears off. Um, I love it when patients come in at the two-week mark and say they're great. Um, with PRP, we see that really quickly because most of our PRP patients, um, we get are like I said, that you know younger to upper middle age somewhere in there. Um, so they're going to heal a little faster. You know, our stem cell people sometimes at two weeks they're like, I think it's starting. I'm not sure. We are using the body's healing, so that's going to take four to six weeks. Okay. Um, but at six weeks, I expect everybody to be, be doing well. Um, if for some reason they're not, then we chat. Okay, what else do you need to do to kickstart right. your healing? Because you should be at that point feeling better and getting more active. And it's great to see people get more range of motion, which you know is just amazing to see because sometimes we think it's a bony block or something, but it's not. You know, it's definitely just the the function of that cartilage or that tendon um, that they can start to move better and more freely. That's so cool, and it's it's so quick, and that's what I was. Um, thinking you would say just 
the the turnaround time is like it's it's pretty quick with this stuff and it's cool to see like you said it 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 helps things heal better environment i'm so happy you said stay away from the ice (laughs) that's awesome um i just did a whole episode about why like anti-ice rant um (laughs) but but that's it's good for people to know like hey this is a quick bounce back as long as you kind of follow the instructions that you i'm sure you provide following the Mm -hmm. procedure yeah well it's interesting because a lot of people obviously have had cortisone so we do Mm -hmm. have to explain to them Cortisone is blocking pain, so it's going to block pain in a couple of days. Like healing doesn't happen in a couple of days. <laughs> right. But, you know, all of this is bringing in inflammation down. So a lot of people do feel better in a couple of days, but it's not, yeah, it's not that miracle cortisone response. But the beautiful thing is um, that healing can continue for up to a year. You know, mm-hmm. so we see patients that at six months are still getting better and better. And that's that's really cool to see. Yeah, that's that's and that's what it's about is just getting them the results and, I mean, helping them with their life, get their lives back, doing stuff they want to be doing. Um, what do you, I, I thought of this, this is, I don't think it's off topic, but it's kind of out there. What are your thoughts on um, people storing stem cells for like later on in life? Like getting their stem cells, kind of like freezing them. Doing what type they, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that is really cool. It's just, where is it going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, I think young people right now, that's probably a very, neat idea because hopefully within 50 years we'll know what we can do with that right right um it's interesting because unfortunately like right now the fda does not allow us to manipulate stem cells Hmm. we can minimally manipulate meaning i centrifuge i concentrate um like we were saying same day procedure Mm -hmm. Uh, we are not allowed to put them in a petri dish and grow them and multiply them you know so what are we going to be able to do with those stored stem cells is going to be the big question and it's going to take a while um for the research to be done and for the fda to change their stance and <laughs> right um so yeah i mean i think for the young people that would probably be super cool um mm-hmm. because there there is going to be a role for that yeah um but yeah it's not going to be in the near future unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> that's all right something to look forward to absolutely i think the research i mean like everything covid put a damper Right. on research in the regenerative medicine space, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's things are starting again, and I know the evidence will be coming out. Yeah, more and there's more always, it's always you. changing. Things are always, always learning, progressing, things mm-hmm. like that. It's, and to see where some of this stuff goes to and what it can allow you know, people like you to do um, and just the options patients would have like for restorative stuff, regenerative stuff, like, I think it's going to be really fun to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, my um, my attention right now is really in spine um, because I get a lot of inquiries about spine. And I do, like we talked about, I'll do prolotherapy and PRP um, kind of in the outside the canal space. Um, I even do do PRP in the caudal space, which mm. is kind of the lower cord region and have really nice uh, results with that. But... Um, I have people wanting to put stem cells in their discs, and that's really in the early stages. Um, there's people around the country doing it, but there were some infections being seen, which we don't see anywhere else. Like stem cells, PRP, it fights infection. Like we almost joke about how it's like the negative of infection risk, you know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people think it's just because the spine is not really a sterile space, kind of like with surgery sometimes they'll mm. see the infection because it may be that these bacteria just live there and then you activate them somehow. So. Um, 
they're doing research on using antibiotics um, in the stem cell to put it in the spine space. Uh, and I'm just kind of following that closely because there are good outcomes with disc injections mm-hmm. uh, and I trained in it. And I mean, it'd be really cool to do and to see the outcomes, but at the same time, discitis is not a minimal risk. Unfortunately, you get a yeah. in your spine, that's a surgical indication. So um, walking softly around that space, kind of keeping an eye on the evidence and mm. hopefully yeah. moving on to that area in the near future. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I didn't know that. That's super interesting. Um, the bacteria they were seeing is the same bacteria that they see in the surgery infections. And so okay. the presumption is that maybe that C. acnes is there already. You know, yeah. so it is interesting. Oh, that's really got to love research. <laughs> it's, always, it's always coming out. I know that. And I know that from conversations that you follow that very closely. Like that's kind of how you are guiding everything you're doing, um, which is super cool. Yeah, because I like to be yeah, new to things, but not the first. I want someone else to kind of figure out the complications, tell us how to do all those complications. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then once right. we know it's a safe, effective procedure, then bring it to our patients. <laughs> yeah, well, that's smart. I mean, let everyone else do it and then figure out the nuances of it and then, then apply it to your practice. That's a, that's a good way to go. Um, so what other... Like anything else you want us to know or anything else people should know about you guys? Um, well, sure. Uh, I do do the rest of the spectrum of kind of non-surgical ortho. Um, yeah. So um, being in private practice, I haven't got as much of the acute injury walking in mm. as I used to get when I was mm-hmm. with an ortho group and we had walk-in ortho. <laughs> um, but I still enjoyed that, um, you know, just treating kids with sports injuries. Um, I have a couple of patients right now who are falling for fractures. Um, we have x-ray on site um, nice. and sound on site, you know, so we, we can follow those injuries. Obviously, we have the bracing, um, taping, athletic training services. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very familiar with return to play protocols, working with school coaches and school athletic trainers. And um, so, yeah, just to know that we do do that also. Um, if someone comes in with an injury and I feel that they're surgical, you know, I have a network of surgeons that I think are good um, Mm -hmm. and that I can, you know, text and send them over, you know, as soon as necessary. Um, But yeah, most, as you know, you know, most orthopedic injuries really approximately 90% are non-surgical. So I think we do a good job treating those because we have this broad spectrum of non-surgical modalities. And then if you are that 10% and you walk in my door, I will make sure you get to the right place. (laughs) Right. Then that's, that's a big, key component too is like having a team of people that you're comfortable with like if somebody walks through your door and you're like oh yeah like I don't know if we're the best space like with what you have currently but I'm going to help you find the right place to go to like that's huge that's Mm -hmm. huge and again it's putting that patient first and I think down the road like they're gonna remember that be like oh hey this person truly care they didn't try to do all this stuff (laughs) and they I mean having a team having a team is huge, especially with what you're doing and, and the physicians you're seeing working with all of that. Like it's, that's massive. Yeah. And I think that was a little bit of the challenge going off on my own originally, uh, as I was so used to having those opinions down the hall, but, um, it's been nice cause I mean, pros and cons for the systems, I guess, but been a lot of turnover in docs. And so there's a lot going from one system to another system. And so I think a lot of them kind of feel almost like they're on their own. So we have a nice little network of people that we can just 
post a question to or, you know, a case and, and everyone is going to come back and give input right away and agree on where the best place for that patient to be is, yeah. even if they're not in the independent space necessarily. Right. <laughs> right. Someday they all will be. Um, <laughs> maybe. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. The medical system as a whole. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could go down that, but I don't know. I don't know. We won't. <laughs> we won't. Um, awesome. Where, so if people wanted to do, reach out to you, if people wanted to get in contact, what would be the best place um, for them to? And obviously, we'll post all of this and are happy to um, put everything out there and obviously refer. But if they want to get in direct contact with you, what resources, what routes are the best? Um, so we do answer our phone most of the time. Um, <laughs> so if people are old school, they can definitely just call our main number, which is, you know, online or mm-hmm. um, our website is just www.delosportsmedicine.com. Uh, and then we have a team email that everybody checks, um, which is just team, T-E-A-M, um, at delosportsmedicine.com. Uh, so those are probably the best ways. Um, we were talking about social media a little earlier. We do have Facebook. Uh, I can't promise I'm the fastest responding on Facebook, but I will get back to you. <laughs> yeah, right. As long as they don't dock you and kick you off of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're not responding too quick, but that's good. That's good. Um, and I mean, you're up. You're on TV too, right? You're big time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's funny. I have people come up to me now and say, I know you. And I'm like, really? You're on TV. <laughs> I'm like, oh, right. I never thought I would be here. Um, yeah, you know, opening COVID made it a little harder. Um, my original plan was to just pull my old patients with me and keep working with the docs I was working with. And there's just been such a shakeup. So, yeah, we are marketing a little more on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been good. I think people see us. They know a little bit more of what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot of education stuff, too. From I think what I've seen, it's it's educational trying to Yeah, well being invited to do like the two year health stuff or this kind of stuff is nice because yeah, kinda a little more time to explain what we do, why we do it, and what makes us different. Um because yeah, it's it's fascinating. Some of the insurance companies like, Oh, we don't need to contract with you. We have enough ortho. I'm like, Yeah, but I'm not ortho. There's sixty orthopods in Green Bay. Um there's a couple of primary care sports and, you know, really I'm the only one that does the spectrum of treatments, you know, that I do. And so it's nice to be able to differentiate that for people because, um, yeah, sometimes they will need ortho or want ortho and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But just realize that we're not the same animal. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's a good point. Um, that's actually a very good point that it's not quite the same, <laughs> which is good. Um, I mean, I think my specialty takes pride in we can get to the bottom of a diagnosis. Um, A lot of my patients will get frustrated because they'll have an MRI and it's negative and then no one knows what to do with them. Um, And I like to think I'm pretty good at the physical exam. Um, Having ultrasound in the office is very helpful because sometimes it is something really subtle. An MRI may not catch that. Um, And it's probably not surgical if it's that subtle. So it's something that hopefully we can take care of. Uh, whether even if it's like a nerve problem or something, you know, those are things that I, I like to treat also. Yeah. And that's, that's cool. That's, it's awesome what you guys are doing and the options you guys have. I mean, it's such a broad spectrum that can just help so many. Like it's, it's Thanks. awesome. It's awesome. Um, cool. Yeah. And we'll link to your Facebook and we'll put the website up all that. Um, so if people are yes. trying to reach out, like we'll make sure that they have, they have the options. Um, 
I got a f- couple final questions. Lightning round. You ready for this? Uh-oh. Sure. Did I get a buzzer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is your um, favorite health-related book? Research article? PubMed? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, you know, sadly, probably my favorite book is just Netter. Netter Anatomy. Um, huh. Netter went to my med school, so his... Yeah. Medical illustrations were just, you know, plastered down the hallways. And uh, I still reference that thing. Like, I had to get a couple more copies over the years because it was just, like, falling apart. But I love anatomy. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't go far enough because we're learning there's more microanatomy than there was acknowledged in his day. Um, but, yeah, I just, I, it's a picture book. <laughs> nice. I guess I like picture books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, pictures with anatomy, I mean, super helpful. Um, cool. What is your favorite health-related activity to do in the Green Bay area? Hmm. Okay, let's see. <laughs> and health is such a broad, like there's so many, it it's is. like an umbrella term, right? It is. Like this, there's so many things you can say. <laughs> I guess I would go with running along the river. Okay. Because we I'll live out in Park. Yeah, we don't have any water there. So I love our trails out there, but yeah, we don't cross a lot of streams or anything. It's a couple little things. So it's cool. I uh, I lived in Boston and New York right on the river for years, and so it's kind of flashback to that. Yeah, and the trails are they're awesome here. There's Especially uh, during the spring, summertime. Mm-hmm. It's just where, the, where there's no ice on the, ro- on the road. <laughs> and then, lastly, what is a piece of, like, couple one two pieces of advice that you would give to someone looking to you know maybe they fell off the road fell off the track and they really want to get their lifestyle back in order like make some lifestyle modifications and come try just to live like a healthier overall lifestyle okay um well yeah number one of course is just going to be an some type of exercise and obviously people have to find what they like because they're not going to stick with it if they don't enjoy it um, so if that's golf, great, you know, if, if you're a runner, if you prefer just to stay home and do your elliptical and whatever, but exercise obviously treats pretty much all your major medical conditions. It's going to keep your weight under control, put you in a better mood. Um, there's almost no downside, <laughs> uh, but then sleep too, I think is something that's really overlooked a lot. Um, if you don't get good sleep, um, you're just going to be miserable throughout the day. You're not going to have good energy. You're not going to have focus. Um, so sleep hygiene, I think, is something that gets overlooked. But there are a lot of apps for it nowadays. And so if people are into the app thing, <laughs> right? There's a lot of calming apps. I know, right? Um, get you. And then yeah, you know, if you exercise during the day, it's going to help your sleep at night. So those are really two nice starters. Yeah, I think those are those are great places to start. I mean, sleep is. Super important. It's crazy what you can do. We had um, a culinary nutritionist on who just talked about eating throughout the day to improve your sleep at night. Like, I think there's so many things you can do to help improve your sleep rather than just being like, oh, I do what I want all day. I mean, we could get into that too, but we won't. It's, <laughs> that's great advice. <laughs> that's great. Those are great places to start. Easy, actionable steps. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and oh, talking you. with us. Um, you know, it's, aw- again, awesome what you guys are doing. There's so many options there. And thanks for letting me pick your brain a little bit. This stuff is so fascinating. Well, it's always well. fun to talk about. I like what I do, luckily. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell. It's, and super knowledgeable. So it's, it's awesome.
and again, we'll make sure that um, we link to everything that people can reach out. But just thank you for your time. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> awesome, guys. Talk to you next time. If you would like more information about us at Movement Performance and Rehab, or information on one of our guests, or if you have a contact that would be a good guest for this podcast, please send us an email at info at mvmtgb.com. That's info at movementgb.com.